This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Delighted to be joined in today's special episode by Lindsay Hoyle. Deputy Speaker, Chairman of Ways and Means, and far more importantly, since 1997, MP for Chorley. This is very exciting, Lindsay. (laughs) Well, it's great, isn't it? Hometown, Chorley boy, through and through. Now, I've got something to confess. I've never been. (gasps) No, there's something lacking in your education. (laughs) There's something. We've got to fulfil that. We should be doing this podcast in Chorley. You should be doing it in Chorley. On Chorley Market, where all the people are there, the great folk of Chorley, you'd really enjoy it and you'd just see another part of Lancashire that most people don't realise exists. Now, I have had a Chorley cake. Fantastic. Well, it might be because I bought them from the services. I thought it was a bit dry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should have butter. Oh, is that what you need? There's always a perfect answer to things. In fact, if you look on there, that's the advert for Chorley cakes. Just say no to Eccles cakes, you're in Chorley. (laughs) Look at that. There's Chorley merchandise everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what it's about. So I, I, I've got to be honest with you. Chorley cakes, people who say they're dry, well, it's because they've not buttered them. You need to butter a chorley cake. Perfect. So let's just describe where we are. It's exactly as people would expect uh, a office in Parliament. I could see out the window there's sort of the crumbling facades. <laughs> there's lots of scaffolding and, and all that. So this is an office you get because you're Deputy Speaker. Yes. And Chairman of Ways and Means. So for yes. the benefit of listeners, explain what the Chairman of Ways and Means means. Well, of course, Deputy Speaker didn't exist, but the title of Chairman of Ways and Means did. And we say, man, because there was no women in Parliament when they came up with the title. So I like to say it's Chair of Ways and Means. And it goes back historically, where the King was very wealthy, that they'd raised a tax Parliament, and the King didn't seem to suffer. In fact, I think the coffers were swollen quite a bit. And the person that was looking after that taxation was the Speaker, who was the King's man. And that was always the problem. So Parliament said, whoa, this isn't got enough. You know, the way of taxation, the means of taxation should be done by our own person. Hence, the title went with the new person. So that's why even today, uh, we do (laughs) trust the Speaker with the budget. But the fact is, I'm the person that oversees the budget, not Mr Speaker. And that's sort of your big high profile. The the big moment of the year is that when the the Chancellor stands up in the Commons and gives his budget statement, you're the one in the chair. And occasionally you've sort of made headlines yourself when things have got a bit out of hand. Well, I I always think that. I always think like most journalists, they've got a job to do. And they're looking for a story, aren't they? You know, 
Crikey, this is a bit boring. This budget, not much in it. Oh well, let's turn to see what uh, to see what the term of words means. Oh, and you're you're, say, you're, yeah. you're talking yourself to occasionally when it gets completely out of hand. You've you've had to really sort of intervene and get a grip on it. You do, and and that's what it's about, isn't it? It's 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 about trying to ensure you're looking after all sides. It's about being fair. It's about being neutral, and it's about there. The House enjoying the day because it's a big day, isn't it? It's the biggest day in the parliamentary calendar. It's not only us looking at it, the country's interested because they want to know how much more tax arrived or where the cuts are going. So it is a big day. It's a very important day. And, of course, everybody wants to get their voice heard. And that's why it's, can, it's sometimes difficult. I wouldn't blame <laughs> the whips, but sometimes there can be a little naughty in agitators being placed around the chamber and it's spotting the agitators before it starts. The shadow... Order! Let's start off as we need to go on. Now, the Shadow Chancellor may not have been the Chancellor, but he should have the courtesies and should know better than actually. We want no advice from the government. Should know better than to display it. I don't wish to see it. Otherwise, it is not a good position to put us in. And let us continue and let's not this become a circus of the day. George Just explain what it's like sitting in the chair on a big day like that when it's... the. Commons is full. Everyone's very fired up on both sides. What's it like? What are you doing? Sort of keeping an eye on people, trying to maybe just sort of look at someone like a teacher and say, "Look, I know what you're up to," and then eventually you have to stand up and intervene. It, it, it's a it's a strange time, isn't it? Let Let me take the first budget. So what, was I nervous because I'd just been elected. The budget was coming. One of the first things I did was the budget. I'd just been elected into this new role. So this is 2010. 2010, first ever elected. Yeah. Deputy speakers, ready to go into the chamber. I've just been elected a couple of days, so I've got the biggest event of the year, parliamentary calendar, in I go. So what happens? I'm thinking, I'm looking round. This is absolutely full. The noise level is building up. The tension's building. There is no room. As we know, there's not enough places for MPs to sit. I look around the top. It's absolutely jam-packed full. I look to my right... And my wife's looking down on me. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, my word. The eyes are on me. You get that feeling. That's what... I look to my left, and my father's looking down on me. Oh, so he's looking from one side. I'm thinking, oh, my word. I began to realise it wasn't the people around I was having to watch. It was the family. That's the thing. It was the family <laughs> watching me. And that was the big issue. But it was about the noise level and trying to make sure. Because it's, it's, it's trying to make sure that MPs allow that frustration. Now, not anger, but... but some noise, but it's about keeping a level on it to make sure it doesn't go too far. And you're absolutely right. What I knew from previous budgets when I've been on the back benches, <laughs> I've been one of You've those people. The noise. You know, I've, I've got to say, am I the poacher term gamekeeper? Some would say, absolutely, we remember <laughs> you. And, and I've got to say, the first thing I did was loop round the back of the chamber to see who was where and trying to find out where the problems may come from. And it's about spotting. I have an early spot and of course I take my clerk with me and I said to my clerk, with certain names and people to look out for, try and see if you can spot them and I'll be looking at the same time. So go on, who are they? Who are the troublemakers? No, I, I, could, I, I could never say that. The, <laughs> the one that was no longer on the boat benches was me. <laughs> <laughs> and just Let's talk about other times when you've been in the chat. So there have been times when I remember when you had to stop the SNP singing Ode to Joy. Of course, you, you know. Because the rules are, I mean, obviously singing is a bit weird, but the rules in the Commons are a bit weird, that you can make actually quite a lot of noise, but you can't clap. I think it's about trying to hold the house, isn't it? 
and it's about trying to make sure the dignity of the house is held there. And, and of course, what everybody's doing is testing the chair, isn't it? All and the I've time. got to say to the SNP, you know, really nice people, and they wanted to test the chair, and it was about getting the balance right. So in the end, I've got to say, I think they need some uh, lessons, some music lessons, you know, and definitely singing <laughs> lessons. Because if you're going to sing, at least be in, in tune. At least be in tune. Order! Miss Gibson, it's very good to you all the choir, but what I would say is, I personally don't mind singing, but I certainly can't allow it in the chamber. Because before we know it, we could hear other tunes, and I don't want to get into that. So, you know, and some of them haven't quite got the voice on this side of the chamber as what they might have on there. So please, I don't want to, I don't want to sing off within the chamber. Now, another time, completely different mood, but another time you were, you were in the chair when the Westminster terror attack happened. I've got to say that's one of the saddest times in my yeah. life. You know, we all have sad times, but it'll never go away. To be sat in the chair, the clerk turned up to me, and the clerk of the house um, came running up and said, there's an attack on Parliament. Is it bad? Very bad. Shooting involved, and we think somebody's in the building. I am now going to suspend the sitting of the house. This house is now suspended, but please wait here. So you've got to make an instant decision. My instant decision was... This is it. We closed down Parliament. We closed down the Chamber, which we did do. Went into immediate lockdown, and we were locked down for a long time. So you you suspended the sitting, but then actually you were then locked, literally locked in the Chamber. We locked the Chamber down because we were in the middle of a vote as well. Yeah. So therefore, the majority of There's MPs, a lot of people around, yeah. all them, the majority of MPs were in the Chamber. So in complete lockdown, nobody could come in, nobody could go out until we knew it was safe. And the problem was that there was a belief that there was somebody armed within the building so therefore we couldn't open the doors and we were into lockdown i've got to say i like being with colleagues but when you get to four hours it is, it is tedious and and i've got to say it is not a nice time i never want to go through that again and of course i've got to say our village bobby and that's who he was it was a friend to all of us when you find out that somebody has died defending our parliament it can never go away from me that memory will be with me forever and it's one of the saddest moments of my life and what was it like when you were in the chamber? Because how much information, I mean, because there's so much information swirling around. There was lots of things being posted on Twitter, which inevitably subsequently turned out not to be true. How much information were you getting? Were you getting any information? It was just a question of waiting. I, I, I was getting information. I didn't have my phone with me. Like most MPs, they do have their phones in the chamber. And I think the sub part was when people were filming each other because there were some distressed MPs in there, and that was not good for Parliament. Yeah. And I've got to say, people did stop filming and taking photographs and of course the news i was getting updates all the time policemen had been shot tragically then died keith palmer you know like i say it was a friend to all of us and then of course the number of people and the attack on the bridge we knew there'd been uh, serious injuries we didn't realize how many people had died in that attack and that was coming through all the time so having the updates and of course the problem was that there was a belief that somebody was operating in the building and it was about making sure people and MPs were protected within the chamber. Obviously, you've got a concern about staff who aren't in the chamber and other MPs. And the biggest worry I had as well was my wife was due to come into Parliament. Okay. And exactly as it was happening, my wife was expected to walk through the gates. So I didn't know where she was, what had happened. And I've got to say, the MP for Chester, who I've known for a long time, Chris Matheson, came up to me and said, everything all right, Lindsay? I said, I'm just bothered about Kath. I don't know where she is. I knew she was doing Parliament. He said, let me try and get hold of her. And thankfully, as she was getting off the tube, she was told, no, you're staying on. There is an attack going on. 
So she avoided it and eventually got the message. She was back and she was safe and she was away from the building at the flat. That's a huge relief. And how do you think Parliament deals with those situations? Because it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's a workplace and people have to be able to come and go easily. But security is a big concern. Security is my biggest concern. It comes under... Um, I, I, I scrutinise security of both houses. I chair the panel on security. Yeah. And that's very, very important. And of course, I take it very seriously. And I knew that the moment I was given the position and we were relaunching the scrutiny of security, prior to Joe Cox, we knew things had to change. The tragedy of Joe Cox, an MP that had a great future in this house, a future head of other MPs. She was a star. You could spot it straight away. And when I got the news that she'd been murdered on the streets of her constituency, it had to change. It began to make MPs take seriously. There is a threat out there. This is a serious threat and security has got to be improved. I don't discuss security as such, but what I can tell you is we made great strides to put better protection in of not only of the House of Commons and the people who work here, not just about MPs, it's about visitors and everybody. That changed and it was also helping to protect MPs in their constituencies and their staff and their families who were also on the front line of this. And obviously what we've seen in more recent months, particularly as the Brexit debate has got more and more intense on both sides, is the amount of abuse that MPs have been getting, whether over at College Green, speaking to TV cameras, or if they're you know, in their constituencies, or try to speak at events, or just go about their business. How, how bad is it, do you think, it's good a lot to be worse. an MP at the moment? It, it's really bad to be an MP. Don't get me wrong, it's a great job. I'm very lucky to be a Member of Parliament, but at the moment... There's a lot of pressure on MPs, and some MPs get a lot more pressure than others. And I've got to tell you, I always worry about women MPs and ethnic minority MPs in particular, because they get the brunt of abuse and the brunt of threats. What is interesting, Joe Cox, Stephen Timms, two MPs that was on nobody's radar, and the Rosie Coopers, which has just happened, not on the radar. So what you think are the obvious targets proves it's not the case. The sort of high-profile cases. High-profile, yeah. you would expect suddenly but it does make you aware of actually every MP is vulnerable. In terms of we did an episode of the podcast a couple of weeks ago about the huge amount of stress that MPs were under, the late night votes, the pressure they were getting from all sides, they're torn between towing the party line, towing you know doing what was in their manifesto, doing what they think is right, doing what their constituents want, their local members, you know there's a lot of pressure on them and, and lots of MPs are actually very honest and talked about the, the mental health pressures on them. Is that something that you worry about as well? It is. It's something I take very seriously. I've uh, had an important meeting where I brought everybody together today, and part of that is about well-being. And what I have concerns about, not just the MP, but obviously people who work in the House. On on that day, when that attack took place, it, it wasn't just about MPs who was affected. It was about, I would say, journalists who witnessed it. I know that staff were walking past, both House staff and member staff, and it's about having their welfare in mind as well. And I've got to say, I'm very lucky. I have some great staff. Uh, Bev, who's been with me for 21 years, has seen all the surgeries, sits in, listens to all the cases. I worry about that. Because in a social worker, you begin to say, is this having an effect on you? So I do have a concern about MP staff as well, because they're at the front of it. They're running a constituency office, and they're hearing from nine till five, five days a week, all the problems within that constituency. So we have a duty of care about well-being, not of just MPs, 
and the staff in this house, but it's about the staff of members as well and the effect that that has on them and the way that it's changed. And Brexit has made it much more high profile. The fact is the offices are facing a lot of that on the front line. So it's about looking after them as well. And that's my biggest issue at the moment is trying to make sure that we have a duty of care for MP staff as well. And what, what can we do about it? I mean, there's obviously the practical security measures and things you can put in place, but then you don't want a situation where MPs are more detached from voters and yet but you also want MPs to feel safe it's a it's, a it's getting a balance yeah. it's a balance isn't it because in the end we are elected by our constituents and our constituents has I believe should have the relationship to with the member of parliament and of course people might say well it's all right for you Lindsay you've always lived in your constituency you were brought up there everybody knows you. that's true uh, but it's about making sure that relationship continues and it's about getting the balance right and what I would say is an MP should do what they feel is right for their safety and make sure they're taken into account. I don't want to get into what we do, but I would say is we've got to make sure we get that balance right and there is a protection in there to make sure that they can carry out the duties because the last thing we want is the end of democracy. We've got to make sure democracy is supported, but it's supported in such a way that it is not only for the MP, but also people who can come to see them and their constituents. It's getting that balance right and making sure that that threat level is taken into account. And have you suffered abuse and threats and that sort of thing? Usually all my life, you know. <laughs> uh, being a Bolton Wanderers fan, it's amazing what you get thrown at you. But taking that apart, um, I've got to say, people out there, I, I'm very lucky that I believe I have a very good relationship with my constituents. Of course, some people do get angry and see, some people may say things. And people sometimes may reflect on what they've said. And in fairness, I'm not a shrinking violet. I, I suppose that's part of my problem, but I will question somebody if they do want to say something. Um, I, I don't walk away that easily. You know, and it's about getting that balance right. But I always say it's much easier for me because I don't have the threats that others have. Mine's not a constituency with the major problems. I'm very lucky to have such a good constituency and knowing so many people is also helpful. Um, I was on the council 18 years before I became an MP. I've represented it for 22 years. I've always lived there. So you build a very good relationship up. But the one thing I have is very good staff that makes sure it's easier and that people understand. People have a problem. I'll always try and solve the problems. And presumably in the current climate when the big debate is over Brexit and what each individual MP is going to do, you know what you're going to do because you're not going to vote because that's part of your gig. Yes. We're purred. The, yeah. It's not that we don't vote. It's actually that the vote is purred off. Yeah. Yeah, that's the difference. But, but as a result... That's why we have a balance of four. Two from government, two from opposition. But as a result, it means that you're not a, a vote in play, if you like, that one protesting group could try and pressure you into doing one that's thing or another. Right. I don't have the same pressures, and a lot of MPs are getting a lot of pressure. And what I would say is, quite rightly, people should contact their MP to express their views and what they feel their MP should do. What we've got to watch, that MPs aren't threatened or intimidated into voting against what their own wishes are. Do you think... Cause some, so getting some, that balance Some people right. have talked about that and said that they think that has already happened. Do you think that is happening? I think there is a danger it could happen. I'd like to think it's not. And I'd like to think that we have the right support from the police because we, we are getting into a territory where the police... You know, if we're trying to bend democracy through intimidation... That is a legal matter that needs to be dealt with. And do you think that this will lead to, the experience of the last year or so will lead to MPs just giving up, walking away? That's what, I'll be quite honest with you, I've had conversation with some MPs who said, 
I just ain't going to put up with this anymore. I just don't want to do it. And that would be sad because what we've got to do is not only it's about the MPs that we've got now, it's about the future MPs who are going to come through. It's about ensuring candidates feel safe to stand in parliamentary elections. So we've got to put the protection in there as well. And in public standards, you know, standards in public life, I gave evidence on that, trying to say, yes, OK, we've got protection for MPs, but we also should be supporting candidates of political parties that want to, you know, from their vision is to come to Parliament. We shouldn't have any barriers to stopping people standing and coming here. So it is right that we try and take that intimidation and those threats away, because the last thing I want to hear about is MPs who don't want to stand because of the way they've been intimidated. And it is a worry and it is a threat to democracy. And what about the role of social media in this? Do you think the likes of Twitter and Facebook do enough to curb abuse in the first place, take it down when it's raised? Do you think are they doing enough? They're getting a lot better. I will say Facebook and Twitter, we met with them. When I first met with them, there didn't seem to be any enthusiasm. It was about, well, we judge it on the language of a pub. Well, that could mean anything, couldn't it? But I've got to say they've got a lot better, a lot more responsive, and they do take seriously uh, posts that have been put up there. And they do, I've got to say, I think they work a lot better with the authority to make sure things have changed. And I've got to thank them for that. But I think there are some other media platforms that have got to step up to the mark as well. What, not Twitter and Facebook? No. Which ones would they be? Like everything. What I would say is, we've conversations ongoing, and I want to get to the same outcome for all. What is it, like YouTube or...? You could select numerous names, <laughs> and that would be up to yourself. <laughs> what I would say is, there is more to be done. And if not, Parliament has the right to legislate. And do you think that ultimately it will end up with the law needing to be changed? If people don't do the right thing, yeah. that would be the answer. I don't think... And I would like to think people are more responsible than that. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Do you understand the public frustration when they look at what's happened in the Parliament in the last, was it, four or five months, where basically nothing has happened? Did they, had, they did do their duty. They went out and elected a Parliament to, to deliver on the outcome of the referendum, and nothing has happened. The, the Parliament hasn't showered itself in glory, has it? I listen to the frustration <laughs> on the streets of Chorley, and the one thing I don't do is shy away, as I say. Yeah. Of course I go out at weekends. I go to... I knock on doors and ask for people if they've got problems, any issues, they've got the MP on the door. 
I still do that. Of course, and I won't shy away from that because this is where I live. I want to know what, what people are thinking and I want to hear about their frustrations. And of course, when I go into the supermarket, my wife goes mad. We go around the market, you know, what should be an hour <laughs> shopping ends up two and a half. But that's because people want to talk to me and want to tell me about the problems. And that's what I'm there for, to listen to the issues and their disgruntlement and their frustration of how long it's taking. And the same old story is, why hasn't something happened? But that's the nature. And that is in their right to ask that question. And in terms of the sort of the constitutional position, at what point do we, if the government can't get through the thing that their the, their biggest policy they're trying to get through, they can't command a majority of the House on it or on anything else, and there is nothing happening, and the Commons is rising at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon, and there's just there's nothing happening in the Commons chamber. At what point does something have to happen to break that? I, I love that line, Matt. You know, two o'clock and four o'clock. But you don't say, and what about the hours when you go through to 12 o'clock or one o'clock in the morning? Which <laughs> we, is, even when which they do that, nothing recently. happens either. <laughs> no, but, but, but I would say, uh, MPs work very long hours. Oh, yeah, no, no, no I, 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 that wasn't a criticism I know of the MPs. It, I know it's it was, not, it but I just the... think, you know, when people listen to it. What I would say is, well, what happens is that governments can call a general election. They can get a new mandate. There is always that answer. But that's up to a prime minister and it's up to the governing body to decide. So there is an answer to all of that, and that's up to the government. Do you think we'll have one this year? Who knows? What I would tell you is I'm always prepared. <laughs> it's the right answer. It's the right answer. Let's talk then about some of the other stuff facing Parliament, particularly as, as I was thinking, I can literally see a whole load of scaffolding out the window. And you were in, again, you were in the chair. You always seem to be in the chair when something dramatic happens. You were in the chair when water started pouring through the roof in the Commons chamber. I'm going to suspend the sitting, and when, the, when we come back, the bells will ring two minutes before we restart. So the sitting is now suspended and no photographs, please. Parliament is a mess, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It's falling down around our ears. A lot of the scaffolding is there not to help build us up, but to catch the stuff when it drops off. And, that, and that's what we're ringing, isn't it? You know, I am pretty unlucky, and I'm in the chamber. And, and what goes wrong? I can hear, that sounds like water. I'll just ignore it for a bit longer. And it got louder and louder until I realised, this is seriously. I looked round and it's coming down. And I've never seen that amount of water coming out. It was like where, when you have a thunderstorm. Sort of directly above your head? To, luckily, not above my head. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to say, above the press gallery, but directly above, uh, when I look at it, is the minister's advisors who sit in the under, okay, under, that the bit of under gallery. I thought... Well, it's not going to be me that gets wet first. It's going to be, it's going to be the special advisors. So what I realised was, I looked round and I just realised it was. It, it wasn't so much the water that may come into the chamber. It was the noise. I couldn't hear what members were saying. Which so you'd have carried on. Some would a good thing, <laughs> but I, I would never say that. And and, and it, it was the sheer noise and the fact we couldn't hear each other. I said, right, we've got to just suspend the sitting. Why me? Why is it always me that has to suspend the sitting? But it was the right thing to do, of course. And how bad is, just to describe for people who don't know, how bad it is in and around Parliament at the moment? You know, the It's really bad, isn't it? Because what I'm concerned about is lumps of masonry. We're not small, talking small ones. Big chunks of masonry dropping off different parts of the building. You don't know where it's going to drop off next. And can we really work in a Parliament that's covered in scaffold to try and protect the stonework on the outside? It's a real threat to people. You know, Notre Dame, you look at that, you just realise we've got to do something, we've got to do it quickly. This is an iconic building that the world looks at. And the end, we've got to make sure this building is repaired. But I think, you know, we've got to move out. 
maybe maybe we've got to maybe relook at the options. Uh, the fact is, some people say, well, why don't you just build a new parliament in London, um, or do we try and squeeze into a to a small space for a period? But the one thing we do know is, you cannot leave people working in conditions like that. And that's not just about MPs. That's yourselves in the press gallery. It's about the staff who work here, there, and people who visit here. You know, if we can't protect them, make sure that they're in a safe environment, you've got to worry. And nobody wants to look at so much scaffolding. I cannot believe there was so much scaffolding available in this country to prop <laughs> up <laughs> this building. They're the only people who are doing well at the moment. I mean, the, the, the press gallery is currently enjoying a, a massive infestation of mice running around on people's desks while they're working. And what, what I can tell you is it's shared. <laughs> Wherever I go, I see mice. I was walking down the corridor the other day, and this mouse was walking down the corridor, a little bit of a swag, and off it went, and it <laughs> shot down. And I'm still of the opinion, it's time we got some parliamentary cats. If they're good enough for Downing Street, they're good enough You'd for You'd like the to size. get a cat? I'd like more than one, absolutely. I think we should have a few cats from it. I think it's a good calming influence for people as well, you know, and it will do no harm. But you're right, we've got a massive infestation of mice. You know, you go along to certain places, you think, oh, my word, there's another mouse. You know, and, and they are running about. And as we know, there was... Uh, if you go onto the terrace, you see something bigger than uh, the mice at times, and that's even more worrying. So we've got a problem. We've got to sort those problems. The sooner we get on with it, the better. And so you think we've got to move out to do that work? This idea of doing it bit by bit doesn't seem to be working hugely well. well we seem to be moving <laughs> slowly through the building. What I would say is if you want to get it done quickly and efficiently, the only real way is to move out. Now, the fact is, do we move into a new purpose-built building? Um, that would be the quickest and shortest way and save money. Or do we go through this process of trying to decamp people in different stages that could take so much longer? So I think I'd it like to It sounds like you favour the first. I, what I would say is I'd like the House to be given more options. OK. And saying these are the realistic options, let the House choose. Because if you do, you know, you go around the world, you go to Australia, wherever, these new parliamentary buildings are fantastic. State-of-the-art buildings, family-friendly, accessible to to people with disabilities, makes a real difference. You can put real security in there. And that will be a way to test, to see what people think. So I think give MPs real choices and let them make them, rather than steering them into a choice that may be a bad one. And so what you turn this building into a museum that people can come and look around, but it's, a, it's, a, it it's not a workplace for thousands. In, but at yeah. least it would allow you. You can save a lot of money and yeah. a lot of time if you come up with something different than what's being proposed. Yeah. I should also ask you about Donald Trump. He's coming to London on a state visit. There were some people in Parliament who would like him to address Parliament as previous presidents. You met President Obama when he came, I think, last time. Do you think President Trump should be allowed to address Parliament? I didn't even know he wanted to come to Parliament. Well, I, that is the question. Everybody yeah, makes I, assumptions. I, 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 I think there's a big assumption. My, my, my understanding is he doesn't, or there's no request for him to come to Parliament. Do you think that the President of the United States should be able to speak in Parliament? The Lord Speaker says one thing, the Common Speaker says another. I don't want to get into that territory. <laughs> of a, I don't want to stand between the two speakers of two different houses. What I would say is I recognise that the uh, President of the States of America may be coming to London, but we've certainly not had or been asked, as I understand it, any request to come to the House. So I think... We will cross that bridge whenever. <laughs> Very good. And I suppose I should probably ask that at some point, because he said at some point it will come to an end, John Burke is going to stand down, the, the list of runners and riders for the job is growing on an almost daily basis. Pete Wishart joining uh, who's it, Edward Lee and Harriet Harman and Chris Bryant. Will you throw your hat in that ring when, it, when the time comes? 
I've got to say, there is no vacancies. I'm here to make sure the house continues to run effectively. It's a very politician's answer, but everybody, well, you, there are, I know, of lots of people <laughs> who want you to be the next speaker. Well, what I would say like, is, You're not going to disappoint them, are you? I'm not, what, what, I, what I would say is, I'll be quite honest with you, I'm not out there, I'm not going round. There is no vacancy. If there was a vacancy, of course I would consider standing. I would be as honest and as open as that, but at the moment, there isn't. And do you think over the last year there have been lots of accusations against John Burko about bias and being unfair? Has he faced fair or unfair criticism over the last year? There are four of us that sit in the chair. We all have different styles and it's about individual styles and hopefully people like my style. That sounds like you're not completely convinced by his style. No, what I would say is it's up for others <laughs> to judge styles. But we all have styles. We have different ways of dealing with the house. I'm that robust, Lancashire lad, you know, that sits in a chair with a very broad accent and people make the judgments. I think it's about humour and it's about how you deal with it. And as I say, it's about styles. And just finally, because I, I, one of the most explosive things I think I've ever seen, I've been here for what, about 15 years, the most explosive things I've seen in the House of Commons was that moment when uh, Andrea Leadsom stood up and challenged this John Burko about why didn't you apologise to me when you call me a stupid woman and this huge row about his workplace and all of that. Um, pe- people have complained about his bullying and allegations of bullying. Have you ever come across that? What, what I would say is I think this is probably one of the best and most interesting interviews I've had. You know, <laughs> there's a time when all good interviews come to an end. <laughs> well, on that note, I, you know, we, we got, we got the, quite a lot before we uh, reached that point. Um, Lindsay Hoyle, Deputy Speaker, but far more importantly, MP for Chorley. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.